Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I would invite you to take hold of the hymnal in front of you or behind you, as the case may be, and turn to page 220 and 213. Sorry, 213. Just to orient you a little bit to what's going on in the bulletin today with respect to the hymnal. We are in Divine Service 5 today. Boy, perhaps you didn't even know there were five of them in there. There are. There are five of them in there, but there are only five. This is the last of the five. Next week, we'll be going back to one. Familiar old one. And then two, three, four, but then we'll be back to five. For the summertime, we're rotating week by week just so we can get familiar with all of them and to give Heidi a bit of a workout. Yeah. <laughs> She's been longing to work harder and harder and harder at the keyboard. And so this month at a time business has just got to stop for a little while. Besides, it's good to, well, it's good to switch it up. And this is a good time to switch it up because we're in the green season, which gives us a little bit more flexibility in terms of the exercise of the liturgical calendar. We are in common time now, not worrying necessarily about particular feasts. And so it's an opportunity to step back and learn a little bit about all of these things. Now, Divine Service 5 begins with confession absolution as we've inherited it for centuries that we also have in Divine Service 3. It's not any different than Divine Service 3. And as we talked about last week, it's essentially an add-on anyway being condescending in a good way, perhaps, to the fact that we don't all go to individual confession absolution as often anymore and save that for specific things that need to be dealt with in kind of a laser surgery kind of a way, as opposed to as a matter of, say, your daily vitamin. But what happens now in Divine Service 5 is a little bit different than some of the other services, except for the fact that the structure is still the same. The structure overall is still the same. What we're doing here in Divine Service 5 is we have, in place of uh, English translations of the Latin versions of those things we inherited from Greek and Latin from the historic church, we actually have hymns written primarily in this particular case uh, for today by Martin Luther to put these Latin songs drawn from scripture into German so that people knew, and if you think about it in 1525, for the very first time, what they were actually saying. It was revelatory. It was radical. It was 1500s radical, but it was still radical. Taking these standard texts that had been known from Greek and Latin for 1525 years, and to put them into German hymns so that his people in Wittenberg could sing them and know what they were singing, essentially taking what had been the sole possession of the priest and choir 
and giving it to the congregation to say, hey, this belongs to you. This is your confession of faith, along with all the rest of the church. That was radical. But it was completely in line with his theology that baptism was more important than ordination. Baptism brought you into fellowship with God. And on its basis, everything else followed. And so the gift that this particular service provides is a reminder that we have to also then keep translating this teaching of the good news of Jesus Christ from generation to generation, from people to people, from culture to culture, from time to time, and to bring it so that we can understand. Now, it doesn't mean changing the faith. It means translating the faith. And there is a difference. We'll talk about some of those differences when we get to the Greek. We're not there yet today. Today we're talking about the curie, which is the first item after the intro. Last week we talked about the intro, meaning he comes in. So each of these pieces has a foundation in Scripture with its own context there, and yet has a new context in the course of the run of this hour of the divine service. And today is a really good example of that. So if you look at that page on 214 now, as we look at the list of things that are there for us to do over the course of this hour, there's the intro, and then there's the curiae. And in the right-hand margin, you'll see a notation there of a scripture passage. Mark 10, 47. Mark 10, 47, apparently, the hymnal is reminding us, is the text that is the foundation for the Kyrie. Okay, well, Mark 10, 47. Well, so if we open up a Bible and, and take a look at what's going on in Mark 10, 47, we'll see a story. We will not see an explanation of the Kyrie. Well, we'll see the story. The story goes like this. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's not there yet. He's coming across from Jericho down up to, not down, but actually up to Jerusalem. And while he's on the road, getting very near, very much within sight of the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, starts calling out because he hears Blind, he hears people saying that Jesus is approaching. Jesus is coming. Jesus is within earshot. Blind Bartimaeus calls out to him, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Jesus starts to approach him. People tell Bartimaeus to shut up. Go away. He calls out even more. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, let the man come to me. He comes up to Jesus and brought to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, what would you like me to do for you? And he says, Lord, that I might see you. 
Jesus heals him, opens his eyes, and immediately Bartimaeus follows Jesus into the city. Now, this story is the foundation then of the curious. This phrase, Lord have mercy. Now, in the immediate context of the liturgy, it seems a little bit odd having just confessed our sins and having received forgiveness that we would then turn around again and ask for mercy. Well, that's because we haven't read the story about Bartimaeus. Because He's not asking for the forgiveness of sin, is he? He's asking for a gift for his life, right? So one of the things we need to keep in mind when we sing the Kyrie is that we have this memory just now of the fact that Jesus, in the personage of the processional cross, has now come into our presence. And we are blind Bartimaeus in the pew, having desires, having needs, having wants. And we can look around figuratively, of course, blind Bartimaeus couldn't look around, but we can look around and we can see that there are all kinds of people, voices, powers around us that claim that they can fix our problems for 50 bucks or for $99.99 from any number of hucksters between 11 p.m. or so and 3 a.m. in the morning. You can get any number of problems fixed. If you fill out the right form, if you fill out the right authorization, if you do the right check to the right mailbox, if you click the right credit card, you can get all kinds of things fixed. There are promises after promises after promises that they can fill the void that is sitting right there in your life. The curie confesses the opposite of that. The curie confesses that the Lord God of heaven and earth in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who has now come into his house in which I am his beloved guest, is ready to hear, respond, and to fulfill the prayers of his people. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. In those words, we confess three basic and fundamental aspects of our Christian faith. Jesus is Lord. No one else is. Not me, not the state, not the guy at three o'clock in the morning who wants me to send him 99 bucks. No one but Jesus can do the thing that needs doing. 
and every time I go somewhere else but to him or recognizing that all of the good things that come from him are actually from him, as I do when I pray before I eat and so many other times and places. Every time I dethrone God in Jesus Christ from all of those things, I commit idolatry. The curie, however, leads me to a faithful confession that Jesus is Lord. And I, in my need, look to him to fulfill those needs. Lord is his status and office. Christ confesses not just the same thing over again, but also recognize that he is the one who speaks for the Father. He is the one to whom the Father has given authority, so that when he speaks, he is speaking from the right hand of the throne of God to deliver God's good gifts. It also affirms that the one who is speaking for God is the one who is sacrificing himself for me. The Christ is the one who fulfills his station as the second person of the Trinity when he goes to the cross and dies and gives his life as a ransom for man. So embedded not only in the Kyrie is the fact that he is highly exalted over all things, he is also servant of all in his office as the Christ who has demonstrated his love for me not just in words, but also in deeds. That he has died for me, he has risen for me, and he now reigns for the sake of his people. He is ready to hear our prayers. Because he is the one who holds all history in his hands and holds me in the palm of his hand as well, he has come into his place and we are here along the side of the road, calling out to the Lord, Lord, have mercy upon me. Christ, have mercy upon me. You are the one who can fulfill my needs. These are the preparations of petitions, of prayers. And so in the Kyrie, we have this in a variety of forms. In Divine Service 3, it's simply those bare words. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. And that's what we sang at the beginning of the service again today, too, to kind of prepare for this day. In Divine Service 1 and 2, you'll see that those phrases are also interspersed with prayers, request of God for the church and its people, for ministers and the service of the word for the ongoing continuing stability of life in this nation and in this world, for the salvation of all people and the coming of all to faith. These kinds of phrases are interspersed, and we say, Lord, have mercy. These are all in answer to the question that Jesus addresses us with, what would you have me do for you? Remember the story. You, in the role of blind Bartimaeus, have the Lord Jesus wrapped attention. He has come to visit with you in this hour, in this place, and asks you that basic question, what would you have me do for you? Bartimaeus had an, an compelling request, Lord, that I might see. 
over two miles. What's front of mind for you? What's on the tip of your tongue? As these prayers are considered, you are invited. In fact, you are compelled by your Lord Jesus Christ also to unburden yourself in thought, mind, and in heart. That everything you want him to take care of be a part of that prayer. Now, it's not as though Jesus is kind of just waiting around for you to ask. And we'll talk about this more when we talk about prayer in general, the prayer of the church. Praying in this regard recognizes that it's not me that's the one that's in control, remember? Who's Lord? Jesus is Lord. Who is Christ? Jesus is Christ. So these prayers are not the spur that Jesus needs. Oh, yeah, I forgot about all that stuff you needed me to do. Let me get it down on my to-do sheet and I'll get right out of it on the day. <laughs> it's a recognition in humility that when I come into this place, I remember that I have a God, a creator, and that I am a creature. And that that order that has been reestablished in the invocation and in the confession and absolution and in the celebration of the intro is now expressed as Christ is in his building, in his presence, and in our vicinity here. We can address him in the appropriate relationship the sons and daughters of the king coming to the king with our petitions. Lord, have mercy. What would you have me do for you? For the world and all its people, for this house and for all the believers gathered here, for all the nations around, for the forgiveness of sins and cherishing the word of the Lord, all of these things, for the food on the table and the care that we need to move from day to day in a place to be safe and secure, to live out our identities in Christ. All of these things become our requests to God, recognizing that he is the one who can fulfill these requests. Now, as we'll talk about some more again, this is not a matter of carte blanche. This is a matter of coming to a Lord with our requests as a matter of humility for ourselves. What the Lord does with those requests is totally up to him. But our exercise of faith is to put it all out there and to put it all out there in the right place with Jesus at the throne of heaven for the sake of the cross in the promise and hope of his resurrection. That's a lot to pack into three little phrases, isn't it? Well, that's what liturgy does. Liturgy takes all of that story and puts it into this story of today in line with all of the other stories that come before and after during the divine service, because there's a whole lot more to come. But when we speak those words, we recognize that this is the Lord's house. He is here. He has come as the compassionate Savior, the King of all, 
who invites, invites the prayers of his people to come for the sake of the world and for themselves so that all of us, all of us, in the realignment of having one God over all, can appreciate that Jesus himself is here to give generously, mercifully, graciously. In Jesus' name, amen.